Hello and welcome to my lovely and weird corner of the internet. My name is Logan Shaw, you all know me as Thor, and that name is probably going to be a little more relevant today than it has been in the past. Uh, continuing with our theme of the past couple of months, we're going to be taking a look at another resurrected ancient alcohol. Although this time around it's not going to be a gruit, it's not going to be a wine, it's not going to be a rice wine, we're going to instead be talking about perhaps the oldest fermented beverage. I'm talking about mead today. Following my usual kind of format, I'm going to be dissecting Mead's history, although I'll be doing it a little bit in brief because this history covers about seven to 8,000 years. Uh, then I'll be taking a look at what may have happened to it and what the modern world is planning on doing with it now. We're going to be taking a look at what Mead is today, uh, what companies are doing with it, as well as what organizations are becoming more involved with it. This is going to include a little bit of an examination on the BJCP ultimately creating and regimenting a subvariant for meads. We're also going to be taking a look at the different kinds of mead that are listed in the BJCP, and we're going to see what that might mean for the future of the industry. So yeah, stay tuned. It's probably going to be fun. Now, when I say we're going to be doing a brief overview of the history of mead, I mean that literally because I don't have the time in this episode to go through the entire 7,000 year history of the fermented beverage. Now, when I say mead, your average person is probably going to be thinking about a heavily bearded guy on a boat with a battle axe in one hand and an ale horn in the other filled with golden liquid. And while this stereotype is very well earned, that's actually not the origin of mead, so to speak. As I've said before, mead is about 7,000 years old. Potentially even more so, given that some of our evidence dates back to roughly 7,000 BCE. Uh, this being some fermenting pots in China being discovered having been used for what's called a mellow melt. I'll describe what a mellow melt is in a future component of this episode, but for the simplicity's sake, it's a type of fruit mead. It's honey that has been fermented with other fermentables, including fruits, herbs, and spices, to produce its own semi-unique beverage. Mead is fundamentally just honey fermented in water, which makes it very easy for it to spontaneously happen in the wild. Honey is a very valuable food source, uh, it's used by a variety of cultures, and it was typically stored in wooden barrels that were usually kept outside. Occasionally they were kept in larders, but most commonly they were kept outside because it doesn't really matter where you keep it, because honey doesn't really spoil, which is one of the reasons it's so valuable. Uh, so, when it comes to the actual origin of mead, we don't really know where it happened first, or who really discovered it first, but we're pretty certain that it happened the first time by complete accident, uh, because all you need to do is leave a barrel of honey out in the rain. Uh, wood barrels are a very good habitat for wild yeast strains, and yeah, you leave a barrel of honey out in the rain and you have pretty much everything you need ingredient-wise, to produce mead. The spontaneity of its actual original production is one of the reasons why it has such a mythological context amongst Viking, Germanic, and Anglo-Saxon cultures. Because it was spontaneously fermented using wild varietals of yeast, and people back then didn't really know what yeast was or what it did when it came to fermented beverages, uh, mead was seen as this divine, godly act uh, of honey becoming alcohol, 
And this is because a lot of Viking mythology revolves around the gods paying for a lot of their architecture, a lot of their weapons, and a lot of their goods by trading mead to their craftsmen. So there's actually a pretty deep mythological context for mead's spontaneity mead production. So mead obviously has a pretty important mythological context, being, you know, a divine gift from the gods, which is why it actually plays a pretty important role in religious ceremonies as well. It's the most common thing utilized in Viking libations, you know, pouring one out for Odin and the boys. It's a gift from the gods. They give you a little bit, you might want to give a little bit of it back. Now, when it comes to Viking society and Viking economics, there's another reason why mead was actually so popular as a drink. Mead is, at its most fundamental level, it's just honey fermented in water. You can add other things to it, but if you're just making basic mead, it's literally just honey diluted in water and then exposed to wild yeast so that it can ferment it. Honey on its own doesn't actually spoil. You can leave it in a barrel forever, and it's probably going to be fine because it just it doesn't go bad which means it's a fantastic thing for making alcohol with unlike malt it doesn't rot or decay it doesn't lose its sugar quantity over the course of time and it's pretty fermentable regardless of how long it sits in a random place so honey as a food source on its own is very important and very very valuable which is why it also becomes increasingly valuable when you produce alcohol with it Mead actually travels significantly better than a lot of other alcohols, predominantly because it's made from a food that doesn't spoil, and because it has a significant, significantly higher ABV than most other alcohols. It's comparable to wine in terms of ABV levels, with maximum uh, ABV levels ranking around 18 to 22%, and making it very easy for you to just stuff it in barrels and ship it across areas without it being at risk of spoiling or being contaminated. So not only was mead commercially important because of how well it could travel, it was also very socially important because it was the go-to drink of choice for pretty much any celebratory gathering. This included celebratory feasts after successful raids, uh, religious festivals, religious ceremonies where libations were to be performed, but perhaps the most important celebration that Mead played a part in was actually a wedding. When a couple got married, it was a general expectation that the guests of the wedding were going to be bringing barrels of mead as wedding presents for the newlyweds. This is because the honeymoon period involved the couple drinking mead pretty much every single day over the course of the honeymoon period. And yes, this is where the term honeymoon comes from. It is a period of going from one lunar cycle to another lunar cycle, wherein the couple is drinking mead literally every single day. So if mead stored as well as it did, was as good for traveling as it was, and was as important culturally, socially, and economically as it was, why did it kind of disappear from public commercial usage? I think the reason for this is because, similar to how other grains for beer making became less and less prevalent, 
significant, i.e. under the Reichsgebad in Germany, wherein only barley was permitted for brewing, honey stopped being fermented because it was such a valuable commodity as a food source. Because it's something that doesn't go bad, is highly nutritious, and doesn't get you drunk so long as you haven't fermented it, I question if it wasn't um, taken away to be more utilized for food as opposed for alcohol. Uh, this is what makes sense to me. Regrettably, I haven't been able to find a whole lot of resources to back that up, but that just means more research is needed. So, we've done a very brief overview of the history of mead. We have speculated as to why it has gone away, and now we're going to have a look at it coming back into the fore. Or, you know... At least how it's trying to come back into the fore. Mead is a pretty storied history, but it's become significantly less prevalent in the modern era, particularly any kind of wild fermented varieties. Commercial examples are comparatively few and far between, and are generally tied to wineries, interestingly enough. The most prevalent example of a modern commercial meadery is actually attached to Rosewood Winery out in Niagara. Otherwise, individual companies are typically making sessionable meads, which are significantly lower ABV, anywhere from 3.5% to 4.5%, and they are also carbonated. The reason for this is that it makes the mead a little bit more approachable, but we'll discuss that in just a moment. In the modern mead industry, there actually seems to be a bit of a divide between those who are making sessionable meads and those who are going with the more traditional, uncarbonated, full-strength, wine-like meads. The session meads, as mentioned, are usually lower ABV, and they're usually carbonated, and they've also been divorced from the traditional imagery that most people associate with mead. This includes symbols like Vikings, Thor's hammer, the Volknut, Viking ships. These are all typically associated with more full-strength, more wine-like meads, like the kind that are presented over at Rosewood. Interestingly enough, the session meads that have divorced themselves from this branding seem to be doing so in order to become more approachable to the general consumer. Your average consumer may not identify with a Viking raiding a village, taking everybody's crap, and then toddling off to have a glass of mead in celebration of his victory. This is why most session meads usually depict very generic kind of branding. And between that and their refreshing, crisp, carbonated beverage, they're generally meant to have a greater, more wide-ranging appeal. Even in full-strength, full-body meads, the Viking and Germanic imagery is becoming less and less popular. I keep bringing up uh, Rosewood Winery, because they do a full line of meads, and all of the branding is basically just their own logo with regular branding. So the last thing I'm going to cover in this episode is the new involvement from the BJCP, or the Beer Judge Certification Program, and how it has now created an entirely different category specifically for meads. I find this particularly interesting because it suggests that meads are now becoming popular enough that the BJCP thinks that they deserve their own kind of judging program. The BJCP actually has a full separate style guideline specifically meant for meads, with the most recent edition being the 2015 style guideline, 
which is approximately 16 pages long and contains the traditional write-up for style guidelines of a variety of different meads. The BJCP is also subdivided everything by subcategories the same way they do with uh, their beer lists, including such categories as dry meads, semi-sweet meads, sweet meads, fruit meads, these are the uh, mellow mills that I mentioned earlier. Um, spiced meads, and then fruit and spice meads. They also have a historical category for meads that can include the more wild fermented meads that we talked about, as well as the braggot, which is a mead produced in conjunction with malt. The fact that the BJCP has now invested time, effort, and money into producing these subcategories suggests to me that there is actually enough of an interest in the commercial world for the return of mead that we might see more and more of it as time progresses on. Failing that, whether it comes back to the commercial sphere in any dominating sort of fashion, I know that it has a place in homebrewing. I myself do a lot of homebrew with mead, I know most of my friends who do a bunch of homebrewing with mead, and it seems to have a very strong fan base when it comes to the homebrew scene, which leads me to believe that regardless of whether or not it ever becomes a commercial success, it will always have a place in the homebrew section. Thank you for joining me on another horribly disjointed and disorganized adventure of examining an ancient alcohol, and I hope you'll join me for another one in the future. Cheers, guys. Or, as a Viking would say, Skull!